We are glad that you are here, and I'm glad to be with you. We are in the book of Ephesians this morning, and as we dive in together, I encourage you to turn there with me, and we are in our last sermon in this book. We have been in it for quite a long time, since January, and so we find ourselves in the last sermon in Ephesians, so we are in Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be focusing in on verses 18 through 24. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 24. And if we could turn on the lights back there, that would be really helpful. Or turn them up. They're on. But if we could turn them up. That way we can see the Word of God in front of us. Unless you're using it on your phone, then it's probably glowing. Um, But we are in Ephesians chapter 6. Next week we'll begin a brief series uh, entitled uh, Psalms for the Soul. And it is... Uh, different preachers that will be preaching on a psalm that has meant something uh, deep to them. So kind of a favorite psalms kind of series. I'll begin it next week and then we'll just keep going from there through Labor Day. Um, And so looking forward to that time together. But today we get the privilege of diving into Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So I want to read it and then... I will pray. The word of God says this. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, basically to the family, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible or unceasing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we gather in this moment, I pray, I pray that you would come to us and strengthen us. I ask, Father, that you would be our peace. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives would be completely turned upside down and altered, including my own. But for those who have never known Jesus, I ask that salvation would come today. They've never tasted and seen that you are good. They've never fallen deeply in love with you and that love being sustained, their desires being changed. God, save I pray today. And for your church, I ask that you would, Father, please keep us all walking in the faith. 
walking in love. Father, please keep us walking in the love of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, it might have been late last week, when I read an article that deeply saddened me. It was about a fellow pastor, a fellow pastor uh, who used to pastor in Maryland, who had recently, um, he and his wife had agreed to divorce, and he has now announced that he is no longer walking with Jesus. He would say, I'm no longer a Christian. And that heavy statement hits deep in the heart. And it makes a lot of sense why Paul, author of this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he comes to us from prison and he writes this letter and he ends the letter talking about the battle that rages on behind the scenes, so to speak. It's called a spiritual war that we are in. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that is just for some. There's a war raging for the human soul. And what we pray for this one pastor is that this is just a brief turning and not a complete turning. But Father, we do pray that God would turn his heart fully back to Jesus. But it brings right before us that there is a war raging for our faith. And so Paul in prison looking at this church in Ephesus, says this is how we have to end this letter with a kind of a summary of all that we've been through. The war is raging. I am for you. Put on the armor that I've already won for you and now walk in my love. The message today is a message of endurance. The title is Keep Walking in the Love of Christ. Don't give up. And the three main points that we will dive into today is wage war in prayer, keep alert and endure, and number three, the idea is in peace, love Christ. The first one, wage war in prayer. Number two, keep alert and endure. And number three, in peace, love Christ. So as we dive in here to Ephesians chapter 6, we start off on a kind of a sobering note, so to speak. But it is appropriate that although sober, there's great hope. This victory, this war has been won, and that's where he begins this entire book. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he just goes on for one massive run-on sentence that he has stating the glories of Jesus because he knows what will help us endure, what will help us wage war is knowing the love of Christ for us. These words, who has blessed us in Christ, four words, 
who has blessed us, satisfied us. This is what blessing means. Satisfied us, given us peace, given us hope. Blessed us in Christ. The only place we can find full and forever satisfaction and peace and hope in the midst of this life that we walk is in Christ. We will search everywhere else. We will look to our spouses. We will look to our kids. We will look to our jobs. We will look to our bank accounts. We will look to our homes, our cars, our land, our upbringing. We will look to our future. We will look to our education. We'll look to anything else to be a savior. But this verse says the only way we endure is in Christ. Jesus. There's no plan B. We are blessed and satisfied in Jesus. And the whole letter is just calling us to remember the love of Jesus for us who shed his blood so that we might be redeemed. Chapter 1 is this beautiful reminder of before we had done good or bad, before the foundation of the earth, God chose us in him predestined us to adoption so that we would no longer be orphans, we would be children. He says he has redeemed us by his blood. Chapter 2 says we were dead in our sins, no hope, no life, stuck in sin. Satan was our ruler, sin was our boss, but God, being rich in mercy, he made us alive. And he made us alive because of his great love for us. We're alive We're seated at the right hand of God. The sign of victory is ours. His victory is our victory. He died in our stead. He rose from the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again. That's why I wore this shirt. Jesus Christ came. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose from the dead and he is coming again. This is the gospel message. And this is why he says... Take on and put on the whole armor of God. And he begins with the gospel of truth. Put that gospel and tie it around your waist and don't let it be removed. Let it be something that you constantly walk in. And he goes on, not only reminding us of the love of God for us, but how that empowers us to live at peace with one another, to build one another up, and to walk in righteousness and holiness. To imitate him, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, because he has sacrificed for us. End of chapter 5 tells us what that looks like to walk in the fullness of his spirit, specifically in marriage and in parenting and in the workplace. And now we run headlong into a summary in Ephesians chapter 6. This summary of putting on the whole armor of God. If you remember last week, We've spent basically three sermons on this armor of God. There's a reason for that. Because sometimes when we go through books of the Bible, some of you think we're going crazy slow. But the point here is this. Some of the richest jewels for the heart are only found by constantly meditating and reading and reflecting on the same verses for an extended amount of time. It's work to fight this fight of faith. 
but there are treasures untold to be mined as we sit before the Word of God and we just read and reread and read and reread and study. Three sermons, that's a small number from what could come out of these beautiful words. But the summary, this first idea is that we must wage war in prayer. Let me just run through the quick list. If you look at it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, there are two main commands from 14 forward. The commands are this, stand, and then you see it in verse 17. The next one is, take hold of the helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit. So stand firm in your faith, take hold of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, Look at this armor. Remember, we said last week that the armor tells us not only what to hold on to, but also what to be alert for, the schemes of the devil. Do you remember this? That the armor tells us how to walk with God, but also what to be alert for. If you remember, what's the first one? The belt of truth. It's the gospel. And so we must walk in the gospel. That means we must rehearse this story over and over. It's our story. But it also means we walk in truthfulness. We walk as trustworthy individuals because Christ is trustworthy. But it also means we must be aware of the father of lies, that is the devil, who wants to bring false teaching in and who wants to deceive us. The second armor piece is the breastplate of righteousness. It is that Christ did what we couldn't do. He was righteous in our stead. So our hope is not our ability to be good. Our hope solely rests upon his ability to do what we couldn't do. His goodness put upon us so that then we walk in acceptance. We walk in security because we trust in him. And that frees us to walk in righteousness and holiness day by day. Not to earn security, but out of security. But we also said it teaches us about the evil one who is an accuser who will come and question your righteousness and you know what he has every right to he has every right to question my righteousness and your righteousness because we are not righteous on our own and the beauty of the gospel is unrighteous people are made whole in Christ Jesus we turn from our sin and we confess Jesus as our only hope and he makes us new and clothes us with righteousness he says put that on day by day walk in the righteousness of Jesus he goes on to say put shoes on your feet that is readiness for the gospel of peace it tells us that the devil will come at us trying to erode peace he doesn't want us to have peace with God and he doesn't want us to have peace with each other so what must we do we must be ready We must be ready to proclaim peace to one another and we must be ready as we walk to foster peace with each other. It's a readiness. He goes on to say, in all circumstances, hold up the shield of faith. It tells us that the devil wants to crush our faith. But God has promised that by faith in him, we can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. And then this second command Take the helmet of salvation. Put it on. May your mind be soaked with the good news of Jesus, that Jesus alone is our Savior. 
We must remember that is the attack of the evil one. He will come and he will say, you cannot know your salvation. You cannot have security in Christ. And he will try to convince you that something else is a savior other than Jesus. This is put it on your mind that Christ is your savior. And finally, he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We know the devil wants to pervert the word of God. He wants to undermine this very fact that we can trust in Christ. And so practically I was thinking like this week how do we how do we walk in this? How do we walk in this like seriously? Like how does this come to mind? And I was just thinking he's given us this idea of armor which the closest we get because we're not in physical war right now is our clothing, right? We put on clothes day by day. That's a good thing. I'm glad you showed up in clothing. That's a good thing. And so what would it look like if, no exaggeration, we used the putting on of clothing as a spiritual exercise, as a reminder of what God has done for us, of the potential attacks of the enemy and how we can walk with him? What would it look like if the pants represented the gospel of truth and we just said, oh God, please, Help us to walk in truth. What would it look like if as we put on our shirts, we literally said, the accuser wants me to crumble under my sin, and I know that I can stand alone in Jesus' righteousness. What would it look like is have you put on your shoes, literally? I know you might say this sounds cheesy, but I need help. I need some practical daily reminders so that I don't go into neutral and I start rolling backwards spiritually. What would happen if we put on our shoes and we literally were praying, God, help me, help me to communicate the gospel of peace to those who don't know Jesus and help me be a part of unity and not dissension. Help me. What would it look like with the shield of faith? Now, we don't wear shields, so I had to think on this one. What would that mean? I was thinking like, okay, what do I do every day? Well, I eat every day and I grab my keys every day. So I'm like, okay, I know it's a stretch. Stay with me. It's okay. If I grab my keys and I'm like, God, build up my faith. If I'm sitting and putting food in my mouth, strengthen me. Help me to trust you. Father, I need you. Could be the helmet of salvation, whether you're fixing your hair or whether you're putting on a hat. Father, help me. Father, help me to choose you as a savior and not my spouse and not my kids and not my job and not my bank account. May I choose you. What would it look like if in our times in the morning, whether it's just the Bible comes to mind or whether we have opened it up, we just remember, God, take your word and change me and use me To be an instrument of love in your hands to see others changed by your word. We've got to think beyond our head and practically we have to appropriate. We got to put on this. And if you noticed in everything that I said, whether it was shirt or hat or hair, whatever, I was praying. I don't know if you noticed it. It was, oh God, help. It was, oh God, do this. And this is exactly what Paul is saying here. Look at it. If I could diagram it for you, all you English lovers out there, 
you would have a command. And then there's two participles that come off of the command. It is, take hold of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit by praying and by keeping alert. So the points of today have come because the text is structured the way it is. Take hold of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit praying. You don't take hold of the word of God alone. You take it and you pray it. And it's as you're praying, God also uses that word to help you endure and to keep going and to not give up. And so the constant refrain underneath everything that I've said is that the people of God are praying people. The people of God are praying people. We see Paul praying in chapter 1 for our hope to increase and our knowledge of God to grow. We see Paul praying in chapter 3 that we might be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit and we might know the depth and height and breadth of his love. He's praying. And now he tells us, He tells us the war is real, it is raging, and so we must go to God in prayer. Experientially, prayer changes things. It changes you, and God uses it to bring you in relationship to Him, and then you see answers to prayer as He chooses, and it changes things. I don't know if you've ever been upset at somebody. Probably not. You're much holier than I am. But if you've ever been upset with somebody, and then God in his almighty power, and that's no exaggeration, all of a sudden you start praying for that person you're angry at. I mean, that takes some supernatural something for you to start shifting from anger to prayer. But I tell you this, you want to watch anger shift to brokenness? You start praying for that person. God does something. It's hard to stay angry long at someone when you have bowed your heart before God and you genuinely trust that he is right there with you and that he is hearing your prayers and you start asking for him to move and to work in you and in that person and all of a sudden stuff changes. Prayer is a part of the war. It's a part of every facet of the war. And I just meditated on what prayer does. I just read it. Prayer. It takes anger and shifts it to brokenness in prayer. Lust turns to love in prayer. People shift from objects to be used to precious gifts made in the image of God in prayer. Bitterness turns to repentance in prayer. Hurt finds comfort in prayer. Justice and that craving for revenge finds satisfaction in prayer. Anxiety finds peace. Fear finds confidence in prayer. Hopelessness finds joy in prayer. Sadness meets hope in prayer. The hardness of heart is overcome to be filled with compassion in prayer. 
These things don't come by default. They come when we bow our hearts in neediness and we say, God help. And there's even a category for you not knowing what to pray. The Spirit of God prays on your behalf. Just bow your heart and say nothing but hold your hands up, whatever. This desperate posture, he's praying for you. But it is in that posture of humility that the war is raging and that you are fighting and you are being changed. These things that are raging in my heart and your heart, they aren't changed by default. They are not changed by avoiding them. They are not changed by stuffing them or just generally thinking about them, which we can obsess over all kinds of things. They and you are changed by prayer. Because prayer connects us with the living God. And as we call out to him, his love runs deep. It's almost as if his arms squeeze tighter. He's flexing his strength muscles as we pray. And we watch his grace being poured out upon us. It's a reality. This isn't a pipe dream. God is at work in the prayers of his people. And so, dear friends, we wage war in prayer. But as we take hold of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, we are not only praying people, but we've got to keep alert and endure. Look at the text with me. Verse 18 said, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then it says, to that end, keep alert. It could be like keeping alert because it's dependent upon this idea of taking hold of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Keeping alert with all perseverance or the idea is endurance i want you to notice three things about our alertness and our endurance one is that it's meant to happen together we must be together as we are fighting to stay alert to the schemes of the evil one and as we endure togetherness is a part of the endurance and perseverance formula Where do you get that? Well, look at what he says. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's also a you that's understood, and that you is plural. You all, or in Chicago, you guys, it's a plural thing here. All of you all, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. All of you all be prayers. All of you all keep alert and endure By praying for one another. There's a togetherness. And there's not only a togetherness, but there's a sense of keeping the end in sight. We've got to keep the end in sight. So what I did is as I was thinking about this, as you read this passage in verse 18, it says, And to that end... Towards that purpose, keep alert with all perseverance. This idea of perseverance is this idea of looking to the end and keeping going because the end is worth it. That's what's embedded in this idea of endurance. Endurance is not just last for a minute, it's keep going to the end. So you've got to keep the end in mind. And so I was reflecting on this helmet of salvation idea because you see in the text they're connected right take the helmet of salvation keep alert and endure he's he's pulling those together 
And so what, what, is he, what is he saying that our minds need to be soaked with? It is that Jesus alone is the Savior and nothing else can be the Savior. And I've got to keep rehearsing that. I've got to keep putting that in my heart and in my mind. I've got to, church is a part of that. Community groups are part of that. Personal prayer time is a part of that. Interaction through text messages is a part of that. With believers, it's, it's all of this. I've got to keep my mind that Christ is my Savior. Now, there's a parallel book that's used, Colossians, that regularly parallels the book of Ephesians. Listen to how the book of Colossians would state this helmet of salvation idea. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That would be put on the helmet of salvation. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. Because... You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is idea of refuge. You want to know your, where your protection is? It's with Christ in God. And he says, when Christ, and if you can read this with me, I would love for you to say the next four words. When Christ, who is your life? And <laughs> let that sit on you. That's my life. My life is not my job. It's not my marriage status. My life is Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your mind there. I recently was, I took a trip with uh, one of my children. As my children get older, we take a, a trip that is a kind of a significant rite of passage into um, adulthood, thinking differently and Growing up, it's a spiritual kind of uh, endeavor. It's a lot of fun. We're just trying to put a marker, a flag in the ground that says we are growing up. What does growing up look like and how do we love Christ in this moment? So I took a trip to uh, New York City. And as we were in New York, there is a place. I don't know if people, uh, if you guys really have a shoe game or not. I haven't looked to see. But it's a big deal in uh, certain areas, and there's a place. If you love shoes, there's a place in New York called Flight Club. And if you go into Flight Club, here's what you will see. It's a picture of shoes. There it is. Okay, these are shoes that are shrink-wrapped, okay? All these shoes are shrink-wrapped. Show the next picture. And then there's a place that... The shoes of the shoes are behind glass, okay? And, you know, I lament paying, keep that picture up, please. I lament paying any more than about $50, $60 for a pair of shoes. That's tough for me. But in shoe game world, you know, paying $120, $150 for a pair of shoes is nothing. Well, you go in this place, you can't even get in the door and find a pair of shoes that are $150, so all of a sudden you begin to look. Shoes are 200, 300, 1,000. Now, show this next pair of shoes. This pair of shoes right here, you probably cannot see it, but right here is the price tag. This price tag right here says $25,000 for that shoe. For that shoe. 
and I'm, I'm assuming you get its complement. 25K. $25,000 for a pair of shoes. I was blown away. I love tennis shoes. They're a lot of fun. Twenty-five grand for a pair of shoes I thought was insane. And part of what made me think it was insane was where we were just before we went in this. It was Trinity Church. If you go to Trinity Church in New York, it has a memorable cemetery. It's notable for where Alexander Hamilton was buried, which... I'm not commending him. He's a famous guy who died in a duel, which I think was crazy. But his tomb is there, along with a lot of other individuals. But as you go through the cemetery, here's what I found. I found a 28-year-old woman. And on her tombstone, it says this. Here lies the body of Mary, wife of James Dalzell, of this city, that is New York, who departed this life March 20th, 1764, aged 28 years, 4 months, and 17. It says, Adieu, my dearest babe and tender husband. The time of my departure is now drawing near, and when I'm laid low in the silent grave, where the monarch is equal with the slave. Weep not, my friends. Hope to be at rest. To be with Jesus Christ. It is the best. And as I reflect, there's something more important. We can get so consumed with things. I put up something that none of you, all of you might be like, I'm not going to pay 25K for a pair of shoes. Well, but how the same heart that would pay 25K for a pair of shoes is also the same heart that can get obsessed by sales, right? Like me. Oh, it's on sale. I need it. You know, it doesn't matter how much you pay. The question is, where is your heart? What are you prizing? And I'm not saying please don't go and buy things at sales, okay? Don't hear me. Please, don't overstate this. My point is this. Buy with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. Make Jesus your treasure so that when you spend your money, you enjoy that thing because that thing's not ultimate Jesus is. And that applies to everything. Go live and do your job and do it well and do it with joy, but don't make it ultimate because you could be 28 and going to be with Jesus or you could be 78 and you go to be with Jesus or you could be 8 and go to be with Jesus. We do not know how long we will live. The point is this. Paul is stating here, the war is real. We must wage it in prayer and we must keep alert and endure by thinking about our end. We must understand. The, embedded in the idea of endure is know your end and go after him. But finally, look at what Paul says here. He not only wants us praying for one another 
enduring with the end in mind, but he also wants them to pray for him as he advances the gospel. Look at verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's in prison and his concern and his request is not that he gets out of prison. His request is that may my imprisoned life be a trumpet to the world that Jesus is enough. And would you give me boldness while I'm in this suffering to proclaim the mystery of Jesus to those that are around me? I need you to pray for me, he says. On his mind is advancing Jesus to those who do not know Jesus. And so we pray. We pray for one another. This is part of the endurance. Part of The endurance is praying for the saints and praying for gospel advance. As you are praying for the good news to break into lost people's hearts, you are being changed and you're reminded of what life is all about. It's about eternal life. It's about being with him face to face and you are less consumed with the things of the world. As you pray, you align yourself with him. So in my neighborhood... I seek to get to know my neighbors, and one of my neighbors is being deployed soon. And he went away for a training, and as he went away for training, he came back and he said it was harder than boot camp. It was the hardest training he'd ever been a part of. And he said that he was in California, and while he was in California, there were some earthquakes, you might remember, that happened in California. And these stories don't really make it out, but what happened was, as the earthquakes shook, one of them created static electricity, and one of the rounds used for the tanks are set off by static electricity. And so, he said, not far from him, he saw two of his fellow soldiers killed because one of those rounds shook and blew up and went off. And he says, I was shaken. And I asked him how he tried to deal with that. He says, I asked him if he was religious. I asked him if he had had a Bible. He says, I've been actually trying to read the Bible. And he says, it's just really hard to understand. And I was like, what version do you have? He said, the King James version. I was like, well, I understand that. That's really difficult. That English was good for the 1600s, but you know, that's not how we talk today. There are other versions faithful to the original text that you should get. I said, I'll buy you a Bible. Would you let me buy you a Bible? And then I shared with him just my journey that I know what it's like to be religious and I know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. Do you, do you believe you've ever had a relationship with Jesus? And he's, I'm trying, I'm not really sure, just, you know, evidence is that he was groaning and needing help. And so I just told him, I wanted to get you this Bible. I'm writing him a letter today. I request you to pray for me. I'm writing him a letter. I'm going to take it over. I also bought him a book that's a testimony of a guy who came to faith in Jesus, and I'm going to give these to him. And I request your prayers for me. But in my letter that I've already started writing, I just thanked him so much for entrusting me with a little part of his story. And friends, I encourage you. I encourage you. Draw near to people. Get to know them. And one day, 
Maybe they might entrust you with a little bit of their story. And as they do, bring the story of Jesus to bear upon their story. But we've got to pray for one another. The gospel would go forth. That's part of the formula for endurance. But as it ends, the passage says this. So that you may also know how I am doing, what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Here's the deal. They're burdened for Paul. He's in prison. And they don't know how he's doing. So he sends Tychicus to go and to say, Paul's doing okay. But alongside that, Tychicus is bringing what we know as the book of Ephesians. He's bringing this letter to this church. Because while in prison, Paul wants them to know the glories of God. What healthy doctrine looks like and what it looks like to walk with Jesus day by day. He spends his time laboring for them and then he encourages them verse 23 peace be to the family of God brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the fa- and from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ now just notice that you might you might miss that where does our peace and our love and our faith come from That's it, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, from, you see that? These are gifts, gifts given to us, that means peace is possible. I fully believe, and this is from one anxious person to another, I can battle with anxiety. I fully believe God wants us to live and to lead out of peace, not out of anxiety. And it's a gift from Almighty God that that can happen. There needs to be hope that wells up in the heart because God is with us. He is with us and he is for us. I won't be perfect and you won't be perfect, but we can take a step forward in hope that it is possible on this side of heaven to live and to lead out of peace rather than out of anxiety. It's possible. This passage says, I want that for you, church. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That word incorruptible is the same word that's used of a non-decaying body or incorruptible, immortal love. What's, What's that mean? It means That you would love Christ with a love that goes beyond death. Death can't stop this love. Now here's what's interesting. It's a quote from a commentator named Lincoln and he says this. Elsewhere in the letter of Ephesians has referred to God's love for believers, Ephesians 2.4. And Christ's love for them. And there's the references. And to believers' love for one another, and to the believing husband's love for their wives, and to believers' love in general. But this is the only place in the entire book of Ephesians where their love for Jesus Christ is made explicit. He ends the whole letter with, and love him. He begins with, 
Blessed are we in Christ. And he ends with, love that Christ. He describes to us the great love of Jesus for us that never gives up and will last past death. And then he says, love Christ to the end. Hold on to Jesus. Love Christ with an incorruptible love. This week, we're a part of the Treasuring Christ Together Church Planting Network. Around 30 or so churches that are a part of this network all over the nation. And we try to keep up with each other and pray with each other. Well, one pastor from Jubilee Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he let us know that one of his elders, Jason Calcott, his wife, Anna, they were at a pool and they have several children and one of their little children drowned in the pool. And here's a picture of the family. The one holding the he is risen sign is the little child that passed away, Jax. And they had the funeral for him this week. And it just weighs so heavy. When you think about that loss of life. And John Erickson, the pastor there, I texted him this morning and I told him that I am praying for him and that we as a church will pray for them. But here's something he wrote from the funeral. He says, yesterday, the family chose to have us all sing these lines. Your plans are still to prosper, O God. You have not forgotten us. You are with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. And he writes this, with heaving sobs and sharp pain, and yet with trembling hearts looking to Jesus, we celebrated the sweet life of little Jack's. And we set our hearts on the hope of Jesus that is the anchor of our souls. He says, no human would choose this. And yet, undoubtedly, Anna's prayer is being answered. Their lives are singing a song to us all. That song is asking, what are you trusting in? And hear this next question. What will hold you on your worst day? Her and Jason's life are undoubtedly about Jesus and God is receiving glory even in their darkest hour. This is and will be hard for so long. Thank you so much to so many who have prayed and loved and given. It is so powerful to witness our God at work. And when you turn on the news and in El Paso, 20 some odd killed. Just last night at 1 a.m., 9 killed in Dayton, Ohio. 251 mass shootings in the last 216 days. This world is broken. And we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And the letter of Ephesians is given to us as a people to say, 
what will hold you on that last day? It is a God who before the foundation of the earth has chosen you and predestined you to adoption. It is a God who gave his only son to die for sinners when they did not deserve it, when they were unlovely. It is a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is a God who has given us his Holy Spirit that we might fight the fight of faith and walk in righteousness. It is a God who loves us in our lowest times. And this I can tell you, from my own sufferings and walking with many, many of you and others in their sufferings. Here is what I have noticed. There's one thing that rings true. Our God has held the sufferer. It is not as much about me holding on to my God as my God holding on to me. And that's what we celebrate today. My God will hold me and he will keep me. And he will keep his children. And he loves you with an unquenchable love. And so the letter is, love him. Love him with an unceasing love that goes past death. For one day we will see, one day we will see him face to face in all of his glory. Keep walking in the love of Christ. Let's pray.